0: Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, September 28, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Historically high sales tax returns have left the city of Sitka with a $14 million surplus in the general fund. When the Assembly met last night, it unanimously approved City Administrator John Leach's recommendation to transfer $5 million of the surplus funds to the City's Public Infrastructure Sinking Fund. The rest of the money, around $9 million, remains unassigned. Why does the City have such a big surplus for fiscal year 22? In a memo to the Assembly, Leach wrote that sales tax revenues, quote, rebounded and exceeded historic highs. The city's surpluses also boosted from federal pandemic relief funds, which it was able to dedicate toward revenue replacement. And the city saved money by being more conservative with its infrastructure repairs in FY20 20 and 21 amid the economic uncertainty of the coronavirus pandemic. In other business, the assembly approved a new strategic plan for the next five years, and it heard an update on the seaplane base project from the city's public works director. We'll have more coverage of the Sitka Assembly meeting on Raven News tonight at 518. Chinook trollers in southeast may have left a sizable portion of their allocation in the water when the summer season wrapped up on September 20th, but that doesn't mean it was a bad year. Instead, it was a rather unusual year. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports.
1: If you've lived in Alaska for a while, you've probably heard about the short summer king seasons in southeast all-out efforts that last anywhere from three days to a week beginning on July 1st. That was not the case
2: this year. Being able to retain Chinook for the entire summer is, is, is not something that they're used to.
1: Right. Commercial trolling for king salmon was open all summer, with only three days off to allow silver salmon, or coho, time to escape into their natal streams, lakes, and rivers. Grant Hagerman is the Southeast Troll Management biologist in Sitka, he says the long summer season wasn't due to a lack of king salmon. Rather, it was an abundance of choice. Commercial trolling has changed.
2: Obviously, they, they've diversified and, and have a number of different species they can target. That is spread kind of effort out between those fishing Chinook, those fishing Coho, and, and kind of those fishing Enhanced Chum Salmon.
1: Enhanced Chum, another name for Chum Salmon reared in a hatchery and released into the wild, completely changed the dynamic of the troll fishery this summer. Trollers caught about 1 million of them, many from a hatchery release site in Deep Inlet, which is just a few minutes' run from Sitka's harbor. Chum have historically sold for around 50 cents a pound, but this year topped out at about $1.20. That's $8 million in chum. Kings are worth about five times as much, but there are a lot fewer to be caught just 150,000 this summer, and the best kingfishing is offshore, which takes time, fuel, and decent weather to make happen. Hagerman says it's no mystery why so many trollers diverted to chum fishing.
2: There were about 250 trollers out of a fleet of probably 700 that chose to fish enhanced chum time for about five weeks. It was basically the end of July and almost all of August, while Chinook Sand was open.
1: As a result, by season's end on September 20th, trollers had left about 9,000 of their summer Chinook allocation in the water, fish that won't be rolled over into the winter troll fishery, which opens on October 11th. Besides the abundance of fish, another significant factor to consider in evaluating the success of summer trolling is the scarcity of permit holders, Hagerman says that there were about 100 fewer boats trolling in southeast this summer than the five-year average, and perhaps 200 fewer than the 10-year average. Although it would mean a bigger piece of the pie for trollers who stayed in, the summer's high inflation took a far bigger bite out of a boat's income, called X-vessel value, than anyone anticipated.
2: I guess you could look at the X-vessel values as, you know, I would say better than average, but... You know, what you're not looking at is, is net values. You know, obviously the the price of of everything is uh, groceries and fuel and everything. And although prices seem to be pretty good, they're not really uh, higher than what they have been in the last 5, 10 years. And so, like I said, it hasn't really compensated for that huge increase in fuel price.
1: And while it was not a bad season for coho, at $2 a pound, it was still difficult for trollers to make ends meet with silvers. Eggerman believes that many trollers just decided to wait for the more attractive economics of chum.
2: There were, you know, a fair number of permits that tied the dock until this enhanced chum sand run started coming through, and and then you know boats kind of came out of the woodworks. We had we had boats from all over southeast that were here for a month basically.
1: Eggerman says it's too hard to predict whether this is the new normal for southeast trolling. There have been large runs of hatchery chum in the past, but the price difference between chum and chinook kept the fleet's focus on kings. He hasn't seen many new permits in the fishery recently, and he hopes that the number of trollers working, though lower than past years, levels out. The future is really anyone's guess. As far as the new norm, he says, every year is different. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: Collecting meticulous data during a pandemic can help determine how diseases spread and how to stop them. Reporter Sharon Lafreniere traveled to Alaska for New York Times investigation that shows that COVID-19 data in Alaska and across the nation is lost or unusable due to underinvestment in public health. KTOO's Claire Strempel spoke with her.
3: What's the data failure and how did it happen?
4: We didn't spend uh, money to modernize the state and local health departments. We left them with the spreadsheets uh, Telephones, fax machines, Excel sheets—the um, the old system. I, I I think many people don't understand, and I certainly didn't understand until I got into this how behind um, state and local health departments are in data. They're way behind. You
3: wrote that the low vaccine rate contributed to the heavy death toll in the United States from COVID nineteen, but so did the lack of data. Why is that deadly?
4: So, I mean, nobody can pinpoint we lost XX million, you know XX number of people or so many other people, you know, were severely um, became severely ill from COVID because we didn't have data. But basically what happened is that the the fact that the data pipeline, if you think of the digital pipeline is rich, is totally riddled with holes and obstacles and it doesn't flow. Um, means that the government did not respond as quickly as it could have because to some degree, you know, they were flying a little bit blind.
3: What made you come to Alaska to tell this story?
4: Two reasons. One, Alaska State Health Department is is a pretty hard-charging health department, and it has a lot of talented people in it. Secondly, because um, its problems are quite typical.
3: What was the atmosphere like when you were here? You know, what did you see? Did anything kind of stand out to you while you were reporting?
4: People were in on the weekends working on data. They were working on it at night. They were, you know, coming in early, trying to make the data systems work better. I thought that it was a really talented and very um, dedicated staff, just um, uh, working on a shoestring, right? A lot of the case reports were coming in over the fax machine, which was on the fifth floor of the health department in the epidemiology section in a corner. And and every night it would run out of paper and they'd have to come in in the morning, fill it up with more paper, then carry these stacks of case reports over to a a computer to enter them all by hand. So it was a massive effort. It's just like the average health department, they, they don't have enough resources what are the consequences of
3: using trained epidemiology staff to do a bunch of manual data entry? You know, what what could they have been doing instead? And what did epi staff in Alaska have to say about this?
4: So, I mean, that to me was one of the more troubling things, is that if you, uh, I mean, think of it like if your phone didn't sync with your computer, right? Then you enter your information in the phone, you got to enter it again in the computer. That's what was happening here. A whole bunch of people had to be roped in to re-enter information because the databases could not connect with each other. So the health department was forced to basically uh, reduce some of its most highly trained epidemiologists for periods of time simply to enter data. And so they would do it on weekends, they would do it at nights. so it would start at 6am in the morning. And that's not unusual. I mean, the disturbing thing about it is people put in all that effort, and then it really, a lot of it didn't come, wasn't useful. In your reporting, did, do you or did anyone
3: you spoke to have a sense of, of how we fix it?
4: You fix it by money. The government needs to spend, you know, billions of dollars for states and local health departments to upgrade their, their systems. Thank you so much for taking time with me.
0: That was New York Times investigative reporter Sharon Lafreniere talking to KTOO's Claire Stremple. A landslide in downtown Juneau on Monday evening damaged homes and knocked out power to parts of Juneau and Douglas. No injur- injuries were reported. People who left the Gastineau Avenue area after the slide can now return home, the city and borough of Juneau said on Tuesday afternoon, but they're asking everyone else to stay away for now. Tom Matisse, Juneau's emergency programs manager, said one home was completely destroyed by the slide and two more were damaged. Many homes on the street still don't have power and there's no timeline for restoring it. Matisse said people will have to decide on their own when they feel safe returning. The city is still assessing whether it will need to do anything to stabilize the slide area. Debris removal could take several days. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can hear our stories again or read them on our website.